Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Capital, an investment platform focused on democratizing private equity by providing individuals access to direct opportunities. To learn more about the firm in the Capital Club community, visit our website at www.excelsiorgp.com and connect with Brian on LinkedIn. Hello and welcome to the Capital Club podcast. I have with me Russell Baskin. Russell, thanks so much for joining us today. It's great to be here, Brian. I really appreciate the invitation. Russell is a family enterprise consultant with Trella Advisory Group in Toronto, Canada. She brings grace and compassion to her work with families, understanding the interconnected relationship between the needs of the individual and the well-being of the family. And one of the reasons I pinged you was an article you wrote in Canadian Family Office magazine about the challenges of retirement. And not so much from the monetary standpoint. Mm-hmm. but more from the emotional relationship standpoint. Much like my parents and my in-laws, this is all happening in real time right now where this baby boomer generation is hitting their you know, mid-70s and retirement is a real thing and many of them are struggling with it. So maybe give us a sense of your clientele, what you're hearing and seeing in these meetings and how mm-hmm. people are managing through this transition? Well, I think the the senior generation or the generation that is exiting or transitioning wealth or their leadership of their business and ownership of their business, it has always been, especially when it's from the first generation to the second generation, there's always been this really there's been no desire really to exit at all and it keeps getting put off and and the next generation quite rightly get frustrated 
And this is becoming more of an issue because, especially with the baby boomer generation, because we're living younger, longer and we're healthier and more active. And so 60 or 65, which is traditionally for many countries, the retirement age is, I mean, I guess you could say it's like the new 50 or even the new 45. So the thought that you would exit your business or step out of your your profession or your work life at that age for many just seems very unappealing or it's appealing for the first 18 months to two years. There's things that, you know, if you've been working an 80-hour week and you've been traveling a lot for business and you've just really been immersed with very little work balance, the thought of retiring can seem really appealing. But two years later, the traveling, the cruises, the golf, the, the vacations, the grandparenting, that can find for many professionals, it's just really not enough to keep them stimulated and fulfilled. And so there starts to be this incremental decline, this waking up in the morning and wondering what to do, where there's a lack of validation, where they don't feel of value. And also a big part of this is feeling that their purpose and their identity has been so wrapped up in the work that they've been doing their whole life that there's a crisis of who am I and what is the point of my life anymore? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot lot to dig into there, (laughs) but it's real, right? And I think we can be somewhat stereotypical here because the numbers bear it out. Men in particular really struggle yeah. because to your point, if they were busy professionals, entrepreneurs working almost, you know, hundred hours a week, depending on where they were in their phase of life, there was really no time to build these relationships outside of work and work becomes their entire identity. And when it's taken away, they never put the energy or the resources into building relationships outside of work. And what I think I've seen and what I'm trying, I'm 40, what I'm trying to personally plan for or prevent is, can you mention this in the article? Many men then look to their wives to be like their friends, their therapist, their wife, their partner, all of these. And the wife is saying, why, you know, I can't do all of this for you. And there's this huge conflict that erupts off. It's so right. I think what you're talking about is a some research was that was done by the MIT Age Lab where they just asked men and women separately what are the top three things they're looking forward to doing or they want to be doing when they retire. And one of the top three for men was to spend more time with their wives, but that never came up for the wives. And, you know, while I don't want to be like stereotyped, It is often that men, their relationships are tied up to their business and to their work uh, and their self-worth and a sense of who they are and what makes them valuable in the world is also tied up in their work and being able to support and take care of their family and also take care of the people around them in the work situation or if they built a business, they from scratch, that business is really almost like they're one of their children in a way. And letting go of that is very difficult. 
and we focus on the gener- the next generation, and quite rightly so. It's not that we should care less about them. They need the support. They need to be able to take on the responsibility of stewarding wealth and leading the business if there is one. But we have spent very little time helping the sort of the exiting generation really think through what they're going to do with their lives, not just say, well, we'll make them chairman of something or they can, you know, sit on the board, but really spend time creating a continuity plan for them that is in alignment with the continuity plan of the transfer of their assets or some of their wealth or their operating businesses. So, I mean, there's a couple of ways we could take this conversation from Mm. here. One, obviously, would be if you're my age, you can start putting in this work, right? And you can start trying to build these relationships, create these hobbies, have a plan in place for when this occurs. Much harder for somebody listening to this who's 70 and is in that three to five year window. And to your point, part of the other dynamic I think that we're seeing play out is this longevity where, you know, when these people were born in the 40s or the 50s, lifespan was, you know, 10, 15 years shorter than what it is today because of medical breakthroughs and just overall sense of wellness and healthcare in general. So these people are living longer than they ever expected. And oftentimes it's just, they don't know how to fill the, fill that time, fill the void. Well, you know, when you talk about yourself, I mean, I don't think it's going to be the same problem for the generations come, your generation, the millennial generation, because if you, the health and wellness is such a huge industry, even some of the posts that I've sort of maybe responded to or read about you on LinkedIn is this, is wanting this work-life balance and you're taking care of your own health and your fitness. And so I think if you think about wealth creators and business owners that are even of the baby boomer generation, you know, or the generation or born in, like you said, in the 50s, you wouldn't see, well, there wasn't social media, but you wouldn't see them uh, you know, talking about health and meditating and mindfulness and getting out and exercising and strength training and worrying about what they eat. It was just, it wasn't something that, you know, anybody talked about as much. So it is changing, but for this generation, it's, they're really at the precipice where, you know, we haven't caught up. Society hasn't caught up. And there is this, this systemic ageism. You know, we are so interested in sort of keeping aging at bay. You know, we kind of know we're aging, but the longer we can prevent anybody knowing that, you know, it's, it can be, I think it can be exhausting for people, you know. So one of the things I talk about is it's not just about thinking about what are you going to do with these 20, 25 years of your life. It's also how are you going to adjust to and, you know, make, come to terms with the fact that we are aging. We are going to look older. We're not going to be able to do the same amount of things. But at the same time, there's so many things we can continue doing as well while we are healthy. And to try and help society catch up with, you know, the value of people in their 60s and 70s that is different, not necessarily better, but just different and complementary 
to the younger peers that are coming out of university or, you know, in their 30s or 40s. And another data point that I would point out from the article is that somebody stated that in North America now, the largest percentage of divorces are happening post-50s. Yeah, yeah. I think relationships are never easy at the best of times. And we hope that, you know, before you get married or commit to a long-term relationship, you're going to be having these conversations together about where you want to live, about religion, about money, about children, you know, really some heart-to-heart conversations about what are your dreams and passions for your life together. And then your life kind of happens and you have kids and you maybe move or you have homes, you have careers that you're each following and you create friends and your life continues and it's usually at a pretty fast pace. And then suddenly it starts to, things start to simmer down and there's a lot of assumptions that because we've lived with somebody and we've been married or in relationship with them and raised children together for 30 or 40 years, you know, we think we know what they want when in retirement or in the sort of the third stage of their lives. And so that we just assume, yes, of course, you know, my wife or my husband wants to travel. And of course, We're going to spend more time with our grandchildren. And of course, we're going to move here because the weather's better and we're going to downsize and whatever those assumptions are. But we forget to check them out. And even I was coaching a doctor who had just given up her practice and her husband had already been retired and they knew they both wanted to travel. But in his mind, he wanted to go on a trip and come back maybe for three or four days, and then go off again on some other exploration. And for her, she wanted to be back at least three or four weeks, if not months. And so that little thing that they hadn't really talked about started to create some irritation. And I think we all know from being in relationship, you know, it's these little things that we don't talk about that start to build. It's like kindling on a fire. And suddenly, you know, we turn around and decide we're not compatible after all these years. So, and also nobody wants to be with a partner that doesn't know what to do with their day and is looking to them to entertain them and to be their social and event planner. Yeah. My wife calls that being the cruise director. Exactly. Exactly. She hates that role. You know, obviously we have 10 year old and a seven year old. So there are trips where she has to be the cruise director. Yeah. But when it's our social life, she really does not want to wear that hat. I can appreciate that. So maybe let's go brass tacks and granular. Okay. You referenced some of the clients you work with, but when do you think is the right time to bring somebody like you in, you know, to the dinner kitchen table conversation? Then how do you work with them? Where do you start here when you come in to consult a family or a couple? I think that once you're starting to think about retirement, I mean, not in building your wealth and once you have a, you know, an age in mind or it's starting to be front of mind, or if you're in a business and you're starting to work on a transition plan, that's the time you need to start thinking about yourself in the same way that entrepreneurs and business owners and wealth creators 
tend to think there's a big focus on their kids and the next generation. What are we going to give them? How are we going to split it up? How's it going to be even? Who's going to run the business? But they don't necessarily stop to think about what are our needs and what are our needs going to be till perhaps we're going to live past 100. And so not just financially, that's when you're doing the financial planning. You also need to do the sort of the planning around uh, what do you want for this time of life? Because for some people, they might want to start another business. You know, there's or they haven't had time to really think about maybe there's some of those things or activities or passions that they have just put aside because they wouldn't have been able to make money out of them that they've forgotten about that they might want to revisit. So it's never too soon, but practically probably in in your definitely starting in your 50s to start thinking about what do you want from your life and how long are you going to stay in your current role and you know what do you and your partner want to be doing together and start having those conversations together. And if there are conversations that start to feel like you've got opposing views, that there's a bigger gap than you'd anticipated, then it can help to have somebody like myself or somebody to come in and be that third party that to create a space that gives them some kind of parameters and guidance into how to start talking about those conversations. And if you're passing wealth down with your family or your, especially if you're passing an actual business down, then, you know, you want it to be when the senior generation are going to be retiring and stepping out, it's a family affair. You know, it, it, there's also going to be maybe some conversations you're going to want to have with your kids about their expectations of how much help you really want to give them in terms of, you know, looking after their children. There's an assumption that just being around grandchildren is something that every grandparent wants to do as much as possible. And I've met people and friends of mine that said, you know, I love my grandson, but I don't feel like I want to be there all the time, not in the way that I thought I would. It's a little bit like being a mother. You know, it's there's a certain parameters that you have to fit in, you know, and sort of parenting is not always a joy. It's not that you don't want to have your children, but it comes with its challenges as well, as does grandparenting. Sometimes people have, there's this time of life where they don't want to be around their children, any children, not on a consistent basis. So, you know, and those are not easy conversations to have. Yeah, I would echo that sense. As a millennial, there definitely is a big disconnect between <laughs> so oftentimes parental expectations as, you know, the parent, the millennial being the parent of what that relationship with the grandparent would be like when children mm-hmm. come on the scene. And I think oftentimes it's really because our my parents' generation, boomers, didn't really have that type of relationship with their parents, right? And so yeah. they look at that as the model that just wasn't in the playbook for them. And, but kind of regardless of whatever that setup is, I think the main takeaway here that I would reemphasize is the point you made about bringing in a third-party professional to help mm-hmm. have these uncomfortable conversations because it's not so much whatever the reality is, 
the bigger challenge is what the expectation is and that gulf of communication between these generations and bringing a third party in to have these uncomfortable conversations with rules that everyone can follow with an outcome is just hugely important because it's not realistic to think that you can be a moderator for this type of group therapy, honestly, if you don't have that professional background. No, no. And, you know, what I think helps is in the same way that you spent time with your, well, hopefully with your financial planner and you've figured out what you need to retire and, you know, how your money is being invested and you meet with them and it's been, you know, segmented. You can do the same with thinking about the third stage of your life. So one of the first things you want to do is to think about, and this is where I start, is how much of your life purpose, your identity, and the meaning you get from life is wrapped up in your work. And if that is, you know, somewhere around 50, 60, 80 percent, then you need to start thinking about where are you going to get that from? How are you going to reinvent yourself? And that reinventing of yourself has to come from the inside out. It's not looking around the outside and going like, what other thing am I going to do right now? It's going inside and thinking about, you know, who am I? What are my needs? What do I want? What would be meaningful to me? So that's a starting place is looking at what am I getting at work that I will be leaving behind that I need to replace in my life. The next thing would be around contribution. Whether we hate our work or we love our work, we're making a contribution every day and we are valued and we get validation. And that could be from the actual work we do, from the what our organization does or from our foundation or from philanthropic endeavors. It can also be from providing for our family, being able to do things for them and having been able to provide great education for our kids and things like that. And it's thinking about when I leave this life, the life I've been leading behind, not necessarily in terms of, you know, what I can have and what I can buy, but who I am and what I do is where do I want to contribute? Because as human beings, we want to be feeling like we are making a contribution somehow. And it can be something that's just around our family, maybe our parents and taking care of them. But it can also be in the not-for-profit sector or through universities. We could be teaching or mentoring. But that's another area we want to be thinking about. And then is the so our social network. I, there's a lot of research now saying that, you know, Yes, eat healthy, exercise, but if you don't have a really good social circle, and it doesn't have to be a lot of people, for some of us, like I'm an introvert, but I have four or five really close friends, those are contributing to my health and well-being just as much as eating healthy and exercising and getting a good night's sleep. So that I think also we don't realize how much of that we get from our work or our day-to-day activities, our profession. You know, we can just go into the office and have a few interactions with colleagues or a boss or our direct reports or 
family members we work with and then have nothing when we go home at the evening and we will have met a need. It's like, you know, how much vitamin C do I need in the day? But when you don't have that, you have to create it. And we, we've left our relationships, let them sort of lag a bit, or we haven't had as much time to put in them. We need to take stock and say, you know, who are my friends? Which ones do I need to put some, invest some more time in? And who do I want to maybe bring closer in? So those are some of the things that I help people sort of think through and start to create a plan around making when they're making those changes in that transition. Does the current market environment have you reevaluating your investment strategy? There may be alternative opportunities you have yet to consider to safeguard your portfolio. We've created an exclusive guide for Capital Club listeners featuring the top alternative investments to consider when strategizing for inflation. Download it today at excelsiorgp.com download to learn how you can protect your portfolio, diversify your assets, and take advantage of tax benefits in today's market. That's excelsiorgp.com download. And do you see commonalities or consistent fact patterns across clients that do really well with this? Um, I think the earlier people start, there was one person I was talking to who's a lawyer and him and his wife did vision boarding, which is another exercise that is really great to do. And so they took a Sunday and together they just started to map out what is that dream life that we want to have when we, you know, we both are sort of letting go of a certain amount of our obligations. So I think if the more normal it becomes and the more we preempt it, so we're not doing it at a time where we either feel like we're being pushed out or like there's just somebody waiting to take our place and we're trying to figure out what we're going to do and we're trying to stall and push back the better it will be. Once you actually moved into retirement and or you've let go of your business and you've started to wonder what you're going to do and start to flounder a bit, it's more difficult. I mean, it's like anything, but it's much easier to preempt, you know, to buy, be eating healthier and exercising and make it consistent and so that we can just keep carrying on than to sort of really have done nothing and then, you know, start to feel depressed and start to feel lonely and have to come back from that position. It's a lot harder and we become more self-conscious and there's shame attached to it with, you know, I have all this money or I'm really comfortable and, you know, how can I, who am I going to talk to about it? Who wants to hear that I'm not happy or I'm worried about my sort of mental agility, my mental health, when from the outside, it looks like I've got everything I should need. And that's one of the biggest problems is, which does tend to circle around, you know, around men is asking for help. And then who do I ask help from? Who do I admit this, you know, vulnerability to? And I had this conversation with a friend last week about some of the posts that I've been doing. And, you know, when you 
as a business owner, entrepreneur, when you look at your allocation of resources, time, money, energy towards taxes and legal and business coaching, professional entrepreneurship coaching, and then you layer on top of that, well, how much time and energy and money am I spending on wellness or mental health or friendship or relationship building? It's usually pretty, pretty scary, stark commentary on what your real priorities are. Yeah. And it's going to show through at the end when all the business stuff goes away. Yeah, definitely. I think to some extent, maybe not for everybody, the pandemic sort of was a little bit of a wake up call because, I mean, obviously it was challenging, but it was also time to really think about what is important. And there's definitely people that made some big life changes. I mean, one of the reasons why it's hard to find people to employ is because a lot of baby boomers just moved into retirement a lot sooner. They thought, well, why should, why carry on working? We don't need to. And it's not that important to us. And so that worked out really well. But yes, it is. It's, it's often time is often used as a reason why we can't do things. But what we're really saying is, you know, this is more important than that is. And where we think we need to be often, especially in business, we don't necessarily. There are other people that we can, that can come in and help out or we can mentor in so that we can spend more time and create some more balance in our lives. Yeah, I would, I would definitely echo. I don't have enough time. It's really just, I don't want to allocate the time. No. That's just not a time priority for me. Yeah, yeah. Because if the, you know, if your house was burning down, you'd have time to go and figure that out. So, so yeah, it's a story we tell ourselves. And, you know, one of the other things that I kind of wanted to get into a little bit here is this transition right, for family offices or family privately held businesses that, <laughs> you know, this transition is occurring. Where are you seeing friction? I'm sure it's more challenging than whatever thought you mentioned earlier in the conversation. That transition point has probably been pushed back five or 10 years on average because people are living longer and want to work longer. But now that it's actually occurring, what are you seeing and hearing from your clients there? It is really challenging. And even with the, you know, the best of intentions, because once the process has started, it's hard to stop it in a way. And so it becomes an inevitability. There's one family I've been working with. And even once the transition of the business was done, you know, the, there was still a desire for the senior generation to be involved. And it was very hard when, you know, their children turned around and said, you don't need to be at this meeting. You know, we've signed the papers. So even though legally there, there's no involvement anymore, it's hard for the, for both generations really to turn around and say, you don't belong here anymore. And I think. What I'm seeing, though, is the start of more planning for that senior generation rather than just you're going to go off and do whatever you do because we're focused here and making sure the next generation have all their needs met. 
it becomes part of that that transition planning. And, you know, something always sort of invested in or spent time around is this notion that we're not really talking about succession planning as an event. What we're talking about is continuity planning for families with wealth and with businesses, which means you're perpetually in the transition from one generation to the next. It's just a matter of whether you're at a slower pace because the children are younger and or whether you're, it's more intense because you're right at the cusp of an actual stepping in and stepping out. But even when the next generation has take, taken the helm, they could be in their 40s. For some, they might even be in their 50s, but let's say they're in their 40s. And they have children and they know that they're a transgenerational family and they're an enterprising family, then they're starting to think about how to prepare their kids that want to be in the business or how are they going to be prepared to be able to manage the assets and the wealth. And also to start thinking about what is that transition going to look like for themselves? And I think that's the piece that we're going to see more of that we, that has been missing because as we talked about earlier, you would transition out, you'd have a few years, you'd travel, you'd do all the pleasurable things that you just haven't had time for that we now tend to bring into our lives. And then, you know, we're having to face our own mortality. So I see that as a, a big change that's starting to happen. Russell, I want to thank you so much for coming on. It was a great conversation. For the listeners, please do leave us a review and comments on your favorite part of the conversation we had today. Russell, if folks are interested in learning more about the work you do or your firm, what's the best way for them to connect? They can connect through our website, which is trella.ca. So I can send you the, I think you've got the link to that. And they can reach out to me by email, which is russell.baskin at trella.ca. And we'll provide the content information yeah. in the show yeah. notes. One question we do ask people that come on the show, do you have a personal daily practice that helps bring peace to your life? I do. I'm a, I meditate daily every morning. I have a a ritual and I feel very fortunate that it's now ingrained and I just don't even think about it anymore. It's the first thing I do when I get up in the morning. Do you use an app or you just do it? Well, I've used I've used the 10% Happier app and that's where I really got started. I've also used Headspace and I think for beginners, both of those apps are really great. Great. Well, thank you for sharing that. Thank you again for coming on. Great conversation. I look forward to staying in touch and definitely encourage people to reach out and learn more about the work that you're doing. Yeah, I'm happy to have a conversation with anybody that feels that they could benefit from that. That would be great. And thanks very much, Brian. I really appreciate the invitation to join you. And it's been a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of The Capital Club. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please like, rate, or leave us a review. And stay tuned for our next episode coming soon.